Well, amen. We're turning in our Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians in the chapter 4. Uh, we're returning to this uh, study that we began a couple of Sundays ago, Ingredients for Spiritual Stability. And we hope to finish the dealing with these verses uh, the, this afternoon. Ingredients for Spiritual Stability. And we're reading Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be dealing with these first seven verses, these opening verses uh, that we find Paul writing here to the church. Of course, we've dealt with verses 1 to 5 already. And this afternoon, we're going to take time to focus on verses 6 and 7. But let's read the verses together and let's think about this topic again. Ingredients for spiritual stability. And this is the word of the Lord. And it reads, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Odeus, and I beseech Synthache, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which laboured with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other, and with other my fellow labourers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now last time we visited this epistle, we began considering these ingredients for spiritual stability. We reminded ourselves that a major theme that has ran throughout the book of Philippians is living in unity with one another as the children of God. It's a mark of a godly church. And it's a key ingredient for spiritual stability that we are gathered together in unity as the children of God. We thought about how in our society we live in an individualistic age where many do what's right for themselves and have no consideration for those in the church. And we can be out of harmony, it seems, in these days with a brother or sister in Christ or even a group of brother and sisters and think that it doesn't matter. Or perhaps we can think that we can fly solo and do our own thing. And we don't need the brethren round about us. And we don't need their gifts and their ministries and their resources that they've been given by the Lord. And we get on. And we get on on our own. And that's not the biblical model. Uh, that's not why God designed the local church. And that's what we've really been thinking about as we thought about these ingredients for spiritual stability. In a, in a society where anything goes, in a society where people look after number one in themselves, that attitude in many ways has slipped through the back door of God's church. And that is not the way the church ought to be in these days. As we gather as a local fellowship, we're a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ought to support one another and love one another in the way that Christ loves the church sacrificially. Sometimes it has to be. Because where there's people, there's problems, isn't there? And sometimes personalities are different. And sometimes we can look at one another and we can frustrate one another. But we're still called to love one another and to support one another and to pray for one another and to sharpen one another. 
And it's so important. That's why the local church fellowship exists. That's why the Lord has put this model in place. And of course, we were considering three ingredients for spiritual stability. And the first one that we considered last time was love. And we thought of Paul's love for the church, Paul's love for the Philippian church. Of course, he wrote, Therefore, my beloved, or my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Paul writes to the church in Philippi with a heart of compassion, with a heart of love. Uh, and he wrote to this church fellowship because he dearly loved them. Look, notice how he writes about them. They dearly beloved, long for. And then he repeats it at the end of the verse. My dearly beloved. Paul loved the church in Philippi. And as we listen and we read of Paul's great love for this local church fellowship and his sacrificial love for this local church fellowship, last day we challenged our hearts and we said, do we really love our brethren and sisters as we ought to. If we loved each other the way Paul loved these saints, then our lives would not be marked by the selfishness that many of our churches are marked by and the strife that many of our churches are marked by. Oh, that there'll be faults and failures in our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the question that we ask is, do we love each other the way Christ loves the church? Is the mark of new birth evident in your life. It's an ingredient for spiritual stability. So we considered how Paul loved the church and then we considered Paul's plea for them to love one another. In verse 2 he he sought for two sisters in the church who had served in the gospel. As he mentioned in verse 3 he said be in the same mind in the Lord. Stop quarreling with one another for the sake of church unity. For the sake of church unity, will you please get on? That's really what he was saying. And he says, I beseech Eudius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. These two ladies, he said in verse 3, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. These were women who were interested in God's work and were involved in the gospel. They were saved. Their names were in the Lamb's book of life. And yet, and yet, they were found arguing and causing trouble within the local church fellowship. And maybe as we took the challenge from God's word the last day, we spoke about how maybe you're in strife with a brother or sister in the fellowship and how it's so important that you put those things right, that indeed you make sure that we're all at one and living in unity because the psalmist writes where where the saints of God live in unity, the Lord commands a blessing. So we come to the third and the, the sec- sorry, the second ingredient was joy, of course. And we looked at verse four and we read those words, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What were we to do? We rejoice. And whom do we rejoice? The Lord. And when are we to rejoice always? And we discovered how it wasn't that joy was found in our circumstances, but rather it was found in our relationship with the Lord. And then verse 5, we finish with last time, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And how we thought about how that little line, the Lord is at hand, it can be translated as the Lord is at your elbow. And we considered how the Lord is beholding us. He sees our every action. He pierces our every intent and is grieved by anything that is not Christ-like in our life. And if we're doing that, we lose our joy. 
If we're not living for the Lord, we lose our joy. And of course, in every difficult situation, our joy can be kept because the Lord is near also, not just beholding us, but upholding us. It's the Lord who gives us joy in our relationship with him in every difficult circumstance in life. We need help, or the help of the Lord and the gentleness of Christ present in our life. And that's what gives us rejoicing even in difficult times. Our relationship with the Lord, not our circumstances. Now this afternoon we come to consider these verses, verses 6 and 7. And the final ingredient that we find in these verses for spiritual stability. And of course the final ingredient that we find is that of peace. That of peace. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Overall victorious in its bright increase. And that's what we have sang already today. And we find this peace mentioned in these final two verses of this opening section of chapter 4. Our yearning for peace is expressed around the world in enormous statues and in works of art. Christ the Redeemer of the Andreas is the statue on the border between Chile and Argentina. It's a gigantic figure constructed to celebrate and express the hope for peace. It was constructed to celebrate the restoration of peace between these two nations. In Paris, there's a wall of peace at the foot of the Eiffel Tower. And this glass monument was, has the word peace written on it in 49 languages. And visitors are encouraged to leave a message of peace in the cracks in this wall. And we could go on. We could even talk about the peaceful in Belfast between the Shankill and Falls Road, a desire to bring peace in Belfast. Many years ago, a man in Santo Domingo, the capital of Dominican Republic, was so concerned and burdened about, the, about world peace that he offered himself to be nailed to a cross as a sacrifice for world peace. And as thousands watched on television, Six-inch stainless spikes were driven into this man's hands and his feet. And he planned to remain on this cross for 48 hours. But after only 20 hours, he had to cut his voluntary crucifixion short because of an, of an infection uh, that developed in his right foot. And the newspaper headline the next day read as follows, Crucifixion for peace falls short. That headline, of course you and I know that that headline could summarise everything that's been done by this world in, in order to try and gain world peace. Yet as much as the world says it wants peace, it's been, a, it's been an elusive goal throughout all of human history because it looks for peace in the wrong places. The key phrase in these final two verses that we find here, it speaks of peace of God. It's in verse 7. It says, in the peace of God. You want to know world peace? The world needs to turn to the Lord. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, the wonderful thing that we need to remember today is first and foremost that each of us as the children of God, that day and hour that we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we had peace with God. Peace with God. 
Notice how the verse tells us how we can have peace with God. Look at the last three words of verse 7. It says, through Christ Jesus. This is where true peace starts. We know peace with God and experience the peace of God only through Christ Jesus. Peace. The Greek word used here in this verse is Irene. And the word is the word is generally translated as the Greek word that's generally used to translate that word peace in the New Testament. And I'm sure you'll be familiar with the word Irene, as I'm sure most of you who listen will know somebody by the name of Irene. And, and this is where the name Irene comes from. We have an Irene here in our fellowship at Grange, whose parents, I'm assuming, hoped that their daughter would grow up to be at peace with all those who lived around them. And the meaning behind this word that Paul is trying to express to the Philippian church this afternoon is a harmonized relationship between God and man that was accomplished through the gospel. A harmonized relationship between God and man and it's accomplished through Christ Jesus. You want to know peace with God? Well, first of all, you have to come to the cross and find that Peace with God and salvation. We read of this peace with God and the ironic blessing in number 6 verses 24 to 27. Listen to it uh, and listen to what it says. You see in the Old Testament this word Irene is actually in the Hebrew it's Shalom. And you find that word in the Aaronic blessing and it says, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Shalom, Irene. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. We cannot experience God's peace. Without the light of his presence, or as the King James Version puts it, without the light of his countenance. What valley are you travelling through today, dear Christian? God is with you, ministering his peace, the light of his countenance. So how may I, how I must remind you, dear child of God, that you and I were once separated from God. A, B, C. We were once, A, alienated from him. We were far from him. His word tells us that we were far away, alienated from him. B, we were chained to the bondage of our sin, dead in trespasses and sin, says Ephesians 2. C, we were in conflict with him. We were in conflict with ourselves. We were in conflict with God. We were in conflict with others. There was no peace, no experience, the life of the sinner. There's no true lasting peace found. You were once without this everlasting peace that the Lord offers in your life on the road to a lost eternity. And had it not been for the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what this verse is teaching us through Christ Jesus. Had it not been for the Lord Jesus Christ, you would be facing the wrath of God. Don't ever forget that. But the peace that the Lord Jesus brings changes the image of God from a God of wrath to a God of love. Because of what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross, God's anger at us is put away. And his anger at sin is put away. And our separation from him is overcome. Adopted into the family of God. How? Through Christ Jesus. From the day you bowed the knee and you came to Christ as Saviour, you experienced God's peace in all its fullness. 
And from that day in all situations in life, you can know that God is on your side and you can experience peace. Why? Because it's God before us who can be against us. So that's why I cry with Joshua this afternoon. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why? Because I have peace with God. This peace is not found in philosophy as this world will try and tell you. This peace is not found in some program of counselling as this world will try to tell you. This peace is found in Christ and it's found in the person of Christ. In Ephesians 2 verse 14 we read these words, For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. It's not just that Christ gives you peace in your life, dear believer. He is peace, for he is our peace. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has ever, the only one who has ever been able to say, you can find true everlasting peace in me. He is God. And he is our peace. You know, there may be some who listen to me this afternoon and maybe you don't yet have peace with God. You look out at the world and you may ask questions about why things are the way they are. And you look at your own life and there's battles and struggles in every corner and you don't know who to turn to or what to do. And you would love peace to come into your life. Well, I'm telling you, if you're not trusting in Christ, you have to come to him because he will give you a peace even in difficult situations and you can have it right now. Bow the knee, turn from sin and trust in the work of Christ, trust in the work that Christ accomplished at the cross at Calvary and then you will know for the very first time peace with God. Not on your way to a lost eternity anymore but a peace and knowledge that when you die or if Christ comes, that you'll go to be with him forevermore. That's peace with God. But I want you to secondly think about the peace from God. This is for the believer. Not only is God's wrath satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Lord grants to our hearts peace in every circumstances. Peace is a gift from God. You see, this is what our verse means when it tells us this peace, it passes all understanding. Look at verse 7 again. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that comes when the natural human reaction would be to react negatively to your life situations. It's, it's when you get that bad news from the doctor being able to say, well, my life is in the Lord's hands. I have peace. It's when that piece of bad news comes from the family that you're able to say, well, I have peace from God. And in my situation, I rest in his will and I place my life in his hands and I place my circumstances in his hands. And God gives us this tranquility of the soul. It's a gift from the Lord. It's a calm confidence that eliminates fear and doubt and worry and anxiety. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 1, Let not your heart be what? Troubled. You've nothing to fear, says Christ. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come and take you to where I am. And the peace from God comes from faith and trust in God's promises, God's power and God's purposes. 
And this is how we should live our lives, with perfect calm and peace. Now this doesn't mean that you should be comfortable. It doesn't mean that things will always be easy. It doesn't mean you get comfortable with your sin. That's not what we're talking about here. While we have peace with God, let's not forget there's a command in Scripture to walk in the Spirit. We should strive to live in peace and we should strive to live for the Lord, which brings that peace. But what the Word of God is telling us is, is that if you're walking in the Spirit and you're not walking in the flesh, if you're walking in the Spirit, no matter what comes your way, the Lord will be with you and you'll experience that peace and perfect peace in every circumstance. You know, the Lord Jesus actually gives us a very practical example of this peace and how we can enjoy this peace from God in our lives. It's found in Mark 4. Do you remember what happened in Mark 4? Our Lord Jesus is with his disciples out in the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes. It's found in Mark 4.35 and the evening comes and he says to them, let's go to the other side. He leads the crowd. He takes, he take, he goes out in the boat just as he was and the other boats are with him. And then there, there arises this great storm and it's a strong storm and the waves are breaking over the boat and so much the water's coming over the boat and it's filling up and the Lord himself is in the stern and he's asleep on a cushion. And then he's there in the back of the ship being taught, the ship being tossed and turned in the gale and the saviour's just asleep. That's peace in the midst of the storm. And of course then there's the disciples who are just like you and I when the storms come in our lives. And they wake up the Lord and they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? We're going to die here. Do you not care about us? And it reached to the point where the disciples thought it was all over and they were going down and he was, he was, there was this perfect calm with the Lord and they're crying out and then the Lord stands up and he rebukes the winds and the waves and he says, be still. And the wind died down. Immediately the, it, there was a perfect calm. And he turned to his disciples and said, why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? They became very much afraid, it tells us. And it said, they said to one another, Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? You want to know about perfect peace in this life? There's a very practical example. The Lord sound asleep in perfect tranquility in the midst of a storm that threatened to drown everyone. And that's the kind of confidence he had in the purposes of his father. He knew that the Father had a plan and would fulfill that plan. He knew when to move, when to act, when to exercise his power. And he did it. Confidence in God eliminates fear. This is the confidence that you and I can enjoy as the children of the Lord. Anyone can have peace when things are going well. When all is well at home, when physical health is robust, when finances are manageable, when the children are behaving, the world can even enjoy a peace in that sort of situation to an extent as well. But the peace that we're talking about today is the peace that passes all understanding. When people look at you as the child of God and say, I don't know how you have peace in your situation. And you say, well, in God's word, I read in the peace of God, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. That's the peace we're talking about. When difficult times come, it's the testimony that the Lord wants you to bear to the world that I have a peace that passes all understanding, that passes all human wisdom. 
And it's a peace that only the Lord Jesus Christ can give me. And it's a peace from God. It's a gift from God that he has given to me as the child of God. I can have peace in my circumstances. This is what Paul speaks about in Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We have peace with God. We have peace from God. And our verse, how it puts it, is we have the peace of God. Look at verse 7, it says, The peace of God which passeth all understanding. And as we draw to a close in this part of our service this afternoon, it really speaks in a practical way to us in this peace, the peace of God. You see, the child of God, as the children of God, we enjoy so many benefits, and we have this wonderful peace that God brings to us as a gift from God. Another translation puts this verse, guard your hearts. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And the question is, I wonder, are you guarding your heart and mind by striving to walk with God? You see, it reflects on the outside. People will see that perfect peace that you have in your life. How do I say this? Well, we'll consider this verse in, the, in our next study, but I think it's important as an important point. In Philippians 4 verse 9, this is the word we read, this is what we read. It says, those things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, now listening, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Do you see the practical side of this? Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. What's the result of that? And the God of peace shall be with you. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, at the end of verse 13, it says, Live in peace with one another. In James chapter 3, in verses 17 and 18, it talks about this. It says, The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then, here's our word, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. There's a practical element. There's a responsibility for you and I as the children of God, to be peacemakers. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, blessed are the peacemakers. Therefore, as we make this practical, uh, can I ask you, are you a peacemaker? Are you a source of peace? Is your own heart at peace in every situation? Are you the one who brings peace when there's trouble in the family, when there's trouble at work, when there's trouble in the church? Are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? If you're walking in the Spirit and if you're filled with the Spirit, you will not cause trouble, you will not cause anxiety, but you will bring peace. And indeed, as you live for Christ, you'll experience Christ's peace in your heart. Romans 12 verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Dear brothers and sisters, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace from God as he shadows us and protects us in the trials of life. And when we consider this peace that we now enjoy, we ought to reflect the peace of God in our lives and show it as we interact with those around us. We have the help and power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus said this, peace 
I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives you do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. My peace I give you. How does that peace come to me? The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. The God of peace sent his Son. And therefore we have peace with God. His Son gave us his peace that day and hour that we trusted him as Saviour and it's distributed to us by the Spirit of God. Maybe you listen today, dear child of God. You say, well, hold on, Peter. You're talking about this peace that I should be experiencing in my life and I don't feel it. I don't know this peace. You don't know what I'm going through these days, Peter. There's people around me that don't know the trouble and struggles that I'm having. You're sitting there and standing there and preaching all about this peace that passes all understanding. And I don't feel it today. Verse 6 is key. Be careful for nothing. Another translation says be anxious for nothing. And here's the key, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here it literally reads, don't, don't, do not in any circumstances worry about anything. The word translated careful, anxious. The Lord Jesus himself introduced the idea in the verse in the sermon, as he spoke in the Sermon of the Mount. Do you recall his words? He says, take no thought, uh, don't be over anxious for your life what you'll eat and what you'll drink or, or, or for your body or what you'll put on. The Lord says, it's not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. The Lord pointed to the birds and grass as evidence that God providentially cares for his creatures. And the Gentiles, he said, were preoccupied with material things. But those who know God as their father should be occupied with the affairs of his kingdom. That's all well and good, you say, but I still don't feel peace. Well, the Lord Jesus said in all things, as you trust in him, we're not to worry why, because we have a heavenly father who is all powerful and all loving, who knows what his children need and is able to supply all their need. Yes, so often we worry, so often I worry. Let me ask you, because I know I'm guilty of this many times. Do you ever come to the Lord with your nagging cares? And pour out your heart to him. And once you're finished pouring out your heart to the Lord, you just pick up the wee bag of worries again and take them with you again. You go to the Lord and tell him all about it, and then instead of leaving your cares with the Lord, you pick up the wee bag and you take it with you. Dear child of God, leave your cares with the Lord today. Cast your burden upon the Lord. You know, so often we come in prayer and we're like the man who said, I've got so many troubles right now that if anything bad happens today, I'll worry about it in two weeks' time. Vance Havner said, worry is like a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. Oh dear Christian, hand the Lord your worries today and leave them there. 
Because look at what verse 6 says. It says, But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, listening, let your requests be made known unto God. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are you weak, dear brother? Are you weak, dear sister, heavy laden? Cumbered with a load of care? Precious Saviour, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Listening, in his arms, he'll take and shield you. Thou wilt find a solace there. Praise God that we have peace with God the day and hour that we put our trust in him, our sins were dealt with. Praise God, he has given us this gift of peace in all of life's circumstances. And oh, as the children of God, we should seek to live out that peace to the world around us. That they will see the difference that Christ makes. But dear brother, sister, in your hour of trouble today, take it to the Lord in prayer. And leave it there.